0: For those listening that don't know, that means that when the deposit goes hard, the inspections are all satisfied. And the only way you're going to get that, you're not going to get that deposit back unless there's a title issue or some other extenuating circumstances.
1: Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization. If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Forward slash strategy. Best ever, listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad Poor Dad, and a lot of other best ever guests. And unlike other podcasts, we don't get into the fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. And today we're with a fellow podcaster, and he doesn't either. So fortunately. We're in a no-fluff zone, baby, and with us today, who I'm talking about is Dan Breslin. How you doing, Dan?
0: I'm doing fantastic, Joe. How about you?
1: I'm doing fantastic as well, and nice to have you on the show, and if you recognize Dan's name, then that's because you're a loyal, best-ever listener, so props to you. He was on episode number 449, titled, Why You Should Pretend That Every Deal You Set Up Will Be a Fix and Flip. And if you're curious about the answer to that, then go listen to episode 449 after we're done here. So we're not going to talk about his best ever advice. We're going to talk about a sticky situation he was in because today is Saturday and we do Situation Saturday on Saturdays. So Dan, let me tell the best ever listeners, just remind them a little bit about you and then you can go into it in more detail. He is the host of REI Diamonds podcast. Go check it out. There's a link to that in the show notes page. He's a founder of Diamond Equity Investments which is a fix and flip company operating in Philly, Chicago, and Tampa Bay. Since 2006, he's closed on more than 300 deals. All of them have been off market except for one, and he is based in Chicago, Illinois. With that being said, Dan, you want to tell the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background, and then you can roll right into your story.
0: All right, cool. I appreciate the introduction there. It's good to be back again, Joe. I since then have added Atlanta, Georgia to my repertoire. And I, I like to enter new markets and basically create opportunities when I find excellent people in those markets. And the timing is right for me and the amount of bandwidth I have. So we've added Atlanta, to the mix. And we've probably done another 200, 300 deals, somewhere in that range, since the last time we talked. I think it's been almost a year, if I'm not mistaken. But beyond that, things are very busy right now. We do a ton of wholesale deals. We're doing, I don't know, maybe I'm in the middle of like 60 or 55 currently either for sale or waiting to settle. We also fix and flip and we keep a small portfolio with the different partners I have in each market as well. So the challenging deal is something. When you said it, I thought, okay, what do I want to talk about? One of the rehabs that have gone bad? And, you know, a lot of us have that nightmare story about finding a sewer line that was broken maybe after even the settlement took place on the retail side and we had to replace that. And that's pretty much a run-of-the-mill set of challenges I think that we would deal with when we are doing renovation projects in the fix and flip business. However, I think I wanted to talk about something that was personally challenging for me recently, and that was getting into... We ended up wholesaling the deal. So, a lot of people would say, Oh, Dan, you wholesale hundreds of deals. You're doing 25, 30 deals a month. I mean, what's the big deal? You wholesale the deal. Why did this one in particular seem to be such an interesting or challenging deal? And it was for me, Joe, it brought me back to the beginning of my career. And it was like that walk of faith that we had to go on. The deal itself was in Chicago here and it was three vacant pieces of land. They were very unique zoning. And so like most of my wholesale deals are three bed, one bed, two bed, one bed, you know, very easy to value single family or duplex or small multifamily residential properties. So we can figure out the rent. We can look at comparable sales and we kind of have a real good idea as far as what the value is of the property. And and even when we deal with single family residential infill, new construction lot deals that come across the table, they're relatively easy to value as well. So when we had this three contiguous parcels on Michigan Avenue in the city of Chicago, in an area right across the street from, uh, I believe, Illinois Technical Institute, it was a challenging deal for me because it came through initially. And I think they were asking for 400,000. And most of our wholesale deals, they trade hands. On the high end, were probably 200 and change. On the low end, we're low double digits. We're 15, 20 grand on the low end for a wholesale deal that we closed. So numbers wise, it was a little bit of a bigger asking price. And we kind of had blinders on my partner and I when we first went into the deal and didn't even like really notice that the lead came in and it was kind of like, oh, okay, there's this weird looking lot and they're <laughs> asking for it. What the hell am I going to do with that? You know, it's like, to put a value on it. It's like the certain deals you're looking for. And we circle back around. I did some research on the zoning. And for me, I've been getting into like looking at larger land deals recently and really starting to like price out some bigger developments, you know, 15, 20 acre parcels, things of that nature. And that's kind of what I'm like inviting from certain contacts those type of deals to come across my desk. And It's taken me a while to start to evaluate that type of deal. And so that was where the challenge came on this one. It was like, how do I put a price on this? They're asking 400. And it was kind of like based on gut, Joe. Uh It was like shooting from the hip. It was like, hey, I told my partner, lock this thing up for 350 grand and we make the offer for 350 and we go back and forth and it's like a two week period. Next thing you know, they're like, no, we have an offer for 450 grand and I'm like, well, lock it up, see if we can match it and lock it up for 450000 and we'll see what we can do with it at that point. The property was zoned to build a five-story mixed-use building with, I believe, 55 units and they had done some drawings on the property and I had met with the owner and gotten my hands on these basic drawings. They didn't have permits issued, but she had done the rezoning and made that parcel so that instead of being able to build, I think it was like a B2-3 zoning and that would have been like a three-story mixed use with restaurants or retail on the first floor and then maybe a two or three stories of apartments. The zoning she had changed it to, I believe, was B2-5, which allowed for five stories and obviously additional units up top for a grand total of like 55,000 square feet of new construction on, I believe, a 11,000 square foot three-parcel property. So, Those drawings were like instrumental. It was like we kind of did some research and got a feel for okay, we could probably get construction done for like 15 million. And we just some basic numbers, but a complete fish out of water when it came to pricing this deal at all. We lock it up for 455,000. We put it out at 635,000. We had an inspection period on there. And one of the key things we did on this deal, which I think is a great tidbit for somebody listening, you may want to write it down, is on our contract. For sale. There were agents involved. There were attorneys involved. You know, it's like not a standard homeowner deal where you're going into the living room and they don't really know what the contract says. So, in order to appear professional, as though we had done this many times before, from a development perspective, I think we put two or five thousand dollar deposit on the agreement of sale with an increase to twenty five thousand dollar deposit amount when the inspection period matured and that deposit goes hard. For those listening that don't know, that means that when the deposit goes hard, the inspections are all satisfied. And the only way you're gonna get that, you're not gonna get that deposit back unless there's a title issue or some other extenuating circumstance that the deal can't close. So you're really committing to the deal once the deposit goes hard. And that increase from, it was like two grand initially to 25, it kind of was something that I had known to be done in higher dollar price point deals from some of my mentors and friends in the business that I had actually done that before on some other deals that was able to kind of like overcome, which many times for a lot of investors in wholesale is an objection where they say, no, we want a larger deposit amount essentially in order to lock it up. So we didn't have that objection whatsoever on that deal. So as we were getting down to the inspection period, here's where the challenge came. We had like a ton of Activity. There were like a lot of these, like buyers that were in my network already as a result of the podcast and sending out deals and growing my buyers list and doing those things. And we host networking events. We had a whole new set of buyers come forward as we were marketing this multi million dollar development opportunity that normally wouldn't pay attention when I'm sending something on the south side in Chicago. So it was pretty interesting, but we still had really no. Verification as to is this property worth the four fifty five that we contracted it for? Is it worth six thirty five? We're getting some activity, right. and we didn't even have any offers come in until I believe it was like the last day of the inspection period. So for us, it was like this walk of faith. It got to the point we lowered the price on it a hundred thousand dollars to five hundred and thirty five thousand, and like that same night, another offer came in at six hundred thousand, and another one came in at like five twenty. So then the initial offer at six hundred. We believe, went back, saw the email, noticed we dropped it a hundred grand and they kind of like disappeared on us. And so that hundred plus K assignment fee disappeared. But as a result of having those two offers, we were able to bump that initial offer up from whatever it was, 500, 510. I think they went up to like 535 or maybe 545. So we had it for 455. However, it went down. The result of the, the story was that we ended up with like an $85,000 spread on that deal. And uh-huh. it did go to settlement and we got it done. And like the big challenges for me came and like, it was a walk of faith, Joe. Like I wasn't sure of the next step. I had never done that deal. I hadn't had contact with those buyers. So I really wasn't sure if I could get the deal done 100%. And it was like based on instinct and my best intuition and my best experience with other properties, nothing in that capacity. Next step had to be just done. And it was like driving from New York to California at nighttime with the headlights on. I could only see in front of me as far as the headlights shine, but we made it all the way to California in a sense or all the way to the closing table.
1: Have you done a deal like this since?
0: We are engaged in a few negotiations similar to that. We had one, I, almost identical, in a little bit of a dicier area. And we were going to do the rezoning. We were going to close on it with our cash. We were going to get this property. We initially thought the tax debt and the amount of money we had to give the seller was going to be somewhere in a forty to maybe $70,000 range. And then the taxes came back and it was like one hundred and fifty grand or something crazy. So we had to walk from that deal. It's too much for us to risk that. Being in a marginal neighborhood and then also adding the risk of the rezoning. I mean, it's a big process to get that done. So we have not to keep the question answer simple. How did the buyer do on this deal? To be honest with you, we haven't followed back up and checked with them. I have this like sneaking suspicion that the property is probably worth more like a million dollars even as it sits. And if I had had the cash to close on it and been a little more familiar and basically had the courage to go with it, I probably would have closed it and turned around and not have to sell it the way we did, Joe, which was like, we sold it under stress. Bottom line, we were getting activity at 600 plus thousand. I mean, $17, $18 million deal all said. The lot cost could go, I mean, just simple calculations at say 10, 15%, We still could be talking about like a $1.5 to $2 million lot as it sits. So we kind of give it away. We assume they did well.
1: Yeah, so you don't know if they built on it?
0: We closed on this maybe 30 days ago. Oh, okay. So they, yeah, there's a chance they did. There's a chance they're sitting on it. I mean, we haven't even, we haven't even gotten yeah. news. I don't think they would have gotten permits even that fast yet. Oh,
1: no, no. I didn't realize it was 30 days ago or I, I didn't remember you telling me that. All right. Boy, when you look at the team that you have set up, you said you talked to mentors of yours. Who are they and how did you get in contact with the people who helped navigate you through this?
0: Well, I don't know if Mentor is the correct word because I did have the opportunity to pick the phone up and call one developer who's doing some things in a little bit of a a center city style downtown. Chicago. And I, I ran the lot by him and he basically was like, nah, that's too far South. No one's building anything there. And so like talking to this guy who had the experience of doing development deals in Chicago yeah. actually was a little more of a deflating experience than it was a help. And so like during the course of the deal, the only talking I did was to God, like God can you give me the inspiration <laughs> and uh, what's the next step? And these flashes of ideas would come to my mind. Whereas when I refer to the mentors, I'm talking about like the Scott Shields, like reading and Don Donald Trump's book, study and developments that took place years ago. Some of the uh, developers I'll read about in the Real Deal magazine in New York City, like just kind of like seeing what I could learn from people's mindsets from a distance, from reading their books, their writing, their interviews and things of that nature. They were my mentors through the deal. What
1: risk did you have on the line if you didn't have a buyer? I mean, if you're putting it under contract, through a wholesale, then I suspect you could have just got out of the contract You didn't find a buyer. Is that right?
0: Because of the way we structured the agreement of sale, and I know that attorneys look at my agreement of sale, at some point, I typically have no weasel clause, no inspection clause, and things of that nature. We did in this contract until... I think 14 days in. And if I did another land deal, Joe, the thing I would do next time would put a 60-day settlement or 90-day settlement date just because the title issues that were involved, which we ended up having to clear up, took a lot longer than anticipated. And it's more common in the development world to have a 90-day settlement date and a 30, 45, or even a 60-day inspection period where that deposit wouldn't have been at risk. So there was a period of time while we were waiting for the deal to settle, that $25,000 was at risk for that deposit by the way I structured the agreement. But it was really cool. The seller had some family. And she runs the Love Institute, which is a charity for children in Chicago. Disadvantaged situations, things of that nature, and really to help kids in high school age, maybe 15 to 18 years old, the programs to help them with job employment skills, acting in a professional manner, and also like an entrepreneurial environment. So it's kind of like to provide some inspiration. So I ended up actually getting an invite to join the board, which I'm in the process of accepting here now. So it was cool. I was able to build this other relationship with the seller to seller. Family and it was really cool to like see the other side of the part for their deal, and then it also doubled the pressure for me, Joe. I thought, oh God, what if the deal doesn't close? And I'm kind of like getting intertwined with like the charity side. I really got to hold up my end <laughs> of the bargain, and so I was like really praying to God for that as well. Like at the same time, you know.
1: Yeah, you had the business and personal reputation on the line.
0: Exactly.
1: Is there anything else about that deal that you want to mention to the best ever listeners?
0: Yeah, my experience with the one guy who was, quote unquote, like a mentor who didn't do me any service, I would caution new people or people getting into different types of deals or even deals at all. A lot of times the experienced person can tell you that certain deals are not going to close or not a deal or whatever the case is, but I want to like warn against looking at somebody and thinking that their opinion is the end all be all. Like, just because this guy had a 50, 60, 70 million dollar development deal going on, you would think I would have to look, look up and respect his opinion, but. The same way I had blinders on Joe for this deal, because I had a certain lane that I make a lot of money in for me and my team where I didn't really notice the lead coming through. This guy also has blinders on. He's looking for five million dollar lots. And I don't know if that's the exact number, maybe five, ten million dollar lots in a more prime A area where even though I have an opportunity on a table in this B area, it just doesn't make sense for him and like his mind's gonna say, No, that's not worth the time, it's not a deal. And so I wanna caution against leaning too hard on the wrong type. Of mentor or mentors in general when it comes to closing deals. Because many deals, a lot of people around me, a lot of people around you, the listener, are going to say, oh, that's not a deal. You can't make any money. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not right. But you're going to make a lot more money when you're able to determine the best course of action for yourself to make a profit and also mitigate your risk. Absolutely.
1: It reminds me of some advice I got from my friend's grandfather. And he said, take all the free advice that you can get and then decide what you want to do with it. The irony is thick, knowing the name of my show is the best real estate investing advice (laughs) ever. But it's true. None of this advice really means anything. It's all about how we interpret it and the actions we take as a result of it. If we had three listeners who took this advice of, okay, I'm going to just decide to do the deal similar to Dan then it will turn out in different ways because they're all going to approach it slightly differently or completely differently, even though they're taking the same advice. It really depends on the experience of the person as well as how you execute on the advice because advice would be words, but nothing can be executed on unless you actually put it into play. So I hear you on be careful where you get the advice from and the best place to come from is an informed position. If you're not informed, then hopefully you've got a lot of life experiences and other people you can speak to. Did you speak to anybody else with experience who said this could be interesting?
0: No, not at all. Not on this one.
1: So you are more bold than I am because if I didn't speak to anybody else who said this could be a deal, I wouldn't do it but it worked out for you. And there you go. See, I mean, I would have missed out on how much you make on it.
0: The spread was 85 after all the costs. It was probably about 60 and change. Yeah.
1: I would have missed out on 60,000.
0: A word of caution. So like, We talk about the advice. I listen to your show all the time. I don't catch every episode. I know like a lot of people listen to my show. They don't catch every episode. I'll listen to Bigger Pockets, many of the podcasts. I'm just going through every time I find one. I'm randomly checking through and listening. And I think it's important to just constantly saturate your mind with good, positive information of this nature. So like the way you asked earlier, did I talk to anyone? I can't pinpoint one source of information. But how many people have I heard on your show, on my show, on many other shows? who have put together deals and made 60, dollars grand, a million dollars, 2 million, 4 million dollars, you know, 60, 30, like any certain amounts of money. So I got my believability that I know it's possible certainly has come from sources of information similar to the show you put together here.
1: Yep. Agreed. Yeah. It's like the uh, Malcolm Gladwell book, Blink, where we thin slice and the thin slicing is based on experiences we've had throughout life and we're able to make quick informed decisions in the blink of an eye. And there's a lot of credibility, I think, to that. Because as you said, you're constantly inundating your mind with different interviews and reading content and then experiencing it in your full-time job with diamond equity investments, then you're implementing it. So awesome, Dan. Where can the best ever listeners hang out with you or get in touch with you?
0: So I put together the REI Diamonds show. And that's REI diamonds.com. You can check out the show there. We're buying deals in Philadelphia, Chicago, Atlanta, and Florida. You can actually submit deals you might have for sale in each of those markets. And you can also access our inventory list for each of those markets as well from that site. And I also wrote a book on wholesaling, how to become Wholesale Real Estate Master, 165 pages. Joe, this is basically my business plan from 2012, 2013, which I then implemented to the point where we're doing 25, 30 deals per month throughout these various markets that I'm in. And I actually have a PDF download available. So if you just put your email address in at that site, you can actually access pretty much my entire mode of operation there for my wholesale business. And again, that site is Diamonds.
1: Excellent, Dan. Thank you for being on the show. Have a best ever weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com. If you recognize this company, well, that's because David was a best ever guest on the show. is episode 122, David Campbell, and you can email him at david at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell.